0: Leaders are charged with looking to the future, but we also need to engage in the moment. On this episode, the power of moments and how we can ensure more experiences have extraordinary impact. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 329. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. We talk a lot on this show about the importance of consistency, the importance of leadership over time, and being effective, over the long run and having that long-term vision. And all of those things are so critical for leadership. And in addition, the power of moments, taking the time to be intentional about how individual moments can matter. And today's guest is really going to challenge us. He's already challenged me and some of his work on how to think about how do we utilize moments more effectively and how do we not only do that better for ourselves, but do that better for our organizations, the people we have the privilege to lead, and of course, for our families too. I am thrilled to welcome Chip Heath to the show today. Chip is a professor at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. He teaches courses on business strategy and organizations, and he is the co-author, along with his brother, Dan Heath, of three best best-selling books, including Decisive, How to Make Better Decisions in Life, Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard and Made to Stick, How Some Ideas Survive and Others Die. Made to Stick was named the best business book of the year and spent 24 months on the Business Week bestseller list. And he is here today to share the lessons from their new book, The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact. Chip, I'm so glad to meet you. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it turns out that we tend to not fully assess experiences as objectively as a lot of us think we do. Instead, we remember what you and Dan call in the book flagship moments. I wondered if you could tell me
1: more about that. Yeah. So it turns out if you ask people about their college experience, so you wait five, 10 years, and you ask people to think back on their college experience and what do they remember? We don't remember everything from college. It's not like a film strip that we rewinded our mind and play back any particular point. It's, it turns out that 40% of people's college memories are in the first six weeks of the freshman year. Oh, interesting! And if you think about that, that's that's the time when we're we're experiencing all these things for the first time. We go to a party and there's nobody to check up on us. You know, when we get home, we we have to make our own decisions about alcohol consumption. We have to make our own decisions about about filling up the cupboards or eating or you know, it's just all kinds of new things. And we're meeting new people. We're having new experiences and going to class, and and so it's a rich time. But what's what's astonishing is that's not 40 percent of your college career. And in fact, junior year is a black hole of memory. Nobody remembers anything from junior year. So we, re- <laughs> right. we remember freshman year, we remember graduation as a senior, and then, then everything in the middle is kind of a blur, especially junior year. So if that's true about our memories, and if you think back to the last vacation you had, you, you don't remember the whole thing. It's not like a, a video that you can rewind or fast forward to whatever place you have. What you remember are a few, few, few fragments, a few peak experiences and they'll stay with you for a long time, and that's why we go on vacations. But we don't go on vacations to have the complete video of the, the experience available to us. And so knowing that, how should that shape the way that we plan vacations? Well, we might want to plan shorter vacations but with more memorable moments. Or how would we plan an employee experience? And, and that's, that's an interesting question that, that I don't think has been tackled as much as we should have in, in the field. Well, it's
0: really interesting so much of the research you cite in the book and one of the studies you cite is where people were asked to think about a new baby being born and asked to list the most important events that will likely happen in that infant's life and the things that are mentioned are things i think most people would expect having children marriage falling in love etc but What's really interesting is that the majority of those events, for most people—not everyone, but most people—happen between the ages of fifteen and thirty. And when you ask older people the same question, they also cite things that are in the same age range, fifteen to thirty. Uh, so I'm thinking there's a connection there, both between the beginning experience a lot of people have in college and that specific time frame too, as far as what's memorable.
1: Yeah, it's another—it's another situation where. There are certain transitions that happen in life, and as we grow older, there are fewer and fewer of those transitions that happen except for the, the bad ones at the other side. But getting married, falling in love for, for the first time before you meet the person you're going to marry, going to college, taking your first job, those are all transitions that matter to people. And and what's interesting is those tend to be loaded in, in a short period, relatively short period in our life, from 15 to 30, and, and yet... We don't take advice from that about creating creating transitions for ourselves in later life. You know, so look, one of the wonderful things about having kids there's there's lots of stress and and worry about having kids, but one of the wonderful things about having kids is you get to experience all kinds of things for the first time again. So I remember when my daughter went to the beach for the first time, she she sat down and she spent about 20 minutes picking up sand and letting it dribble through her fingers, and and you look at it and you say sand is really remarkable stuff but you, you hadn't realized that since you were five you know so I think what that says is that the transitions matter to people and in a lifetime there are a handful of transitions that matter but also in a job there are probably a handful of transitions that matter and the question is are we are we hitting those transitions and getting as much from them as we should
0: Well that leads me to one of the things that I wanted to definitely ask you about is some of the natural transitions and, and of course, there are moments that happen that we can't anticipate and, and can't necessarily be intentional about, but there are some very natural transitions that we absolutely can plan for. And one of them is the first day of work, the first day for an employee. Uh, we did an episode uh, about a year ago about onboarding employees, and the point was made at that time that a lot of organizations do a mediocre to poor job handling the first day of work. In the context of thinking about moments, where do you, where do you see that we're missing opportunities
1: for this? Oh, I think I think that's a classic one, and and in fact, the fir- the first day of work at most places is is a pretty ad hoc affair. So you, you show up at the front desk, and the person behind the desk is really thrilled to see you, but they actually thought you were coming in early next week, and and so you know somebody wanders by from your group, and they say, "Hey, how are you doing?" And they they lead you to your cubicle, which has a monitor with a wire dangling from it because the CPU said it's set up yet, and and they're they're kind of desperate because. They saw you and rescued you from the front desk, but they were on their way to a meeting, and so they kind of grabbed the employee manual and thrust it in your hands and you say, you know, why don't you read this for a while? So you spend spend the morning reading about expense reimbursement policy. And so it's, it's just not it's not a well-thought-out process. And yet, of all the transitions, I mean, we hear statistics about the number of jobs each of us will have in a lifetime, and it's somewhere around, is it six or seven that they're predicting now?
0: Yeah, some and, and multiple careers now, like so many of us are doing things that you know, we didn't even get training for years yeah.
1: ago in our first career, right? Yeah. So so if you, I mean, that's a lot. Six or seven is a lot and changing careers and is a lot. But it, there's a finite number of times that we're going to be the first day somewhere. And shouldn't we make more of a, a deal of that? And so one of my favorite examples in the book, and, and I like it not because it's spectacular, but just because it's really, really good. And it's a completely mundane situation that most of us hadn't thought about. John Deere was going into China and India and what they were finding is they were having more turnover, especially among engineering staff, because engineers are high value in those cultures right now. So more turnover than they wanted to. And so they wanted from the very start of the working relationship to make a statement to people about the importance of what they're doing and the importance of the brand. Because if you think about it, in the States, we're a lot of us are only a couple of generations away from people that farmed the land. And so when I was a kid, I had uncles and grandparents that farmed and you know, I actually sat on John Deere tractors at a couple of times when I was a kid, so I knew the brand, and I knew what they did. But you go into China and India, and they don't have that cultural history and the legacy of the organization. So they wanted to, to get people thinking from the start about, you know, this is, this is a cool place to work. This is an important place to work. And so one of the first things they did is they started connecting you with the organization even before you came in the door. And so they, they would appoint a texting buddy. For every new employee and so you text back and forth with this person and you show up the first day and your text buddy is standing there with your favorite beverage which is a nice touch because they they kind of worked in a little conversation about what do you like to drink in the morning and and there there they are with your caramel latte macchiato or you know whatever it is and so from the very start you feel connected to this person that person leads you to your cubicle and beside the cubicle is uh, a banner it sticks up a little bit above the cubicle farm, you know, a foot above. And so people on the floor can see oh there's a new person in and they can stop by when they have a few minutes and have a conversation with you at leisure as opposed to the rushed, you know, running around the floor meeting 25 people in the 15 minutes before lunch. And on your as you sit down, your computer's actually installed and there's a screensaver that's showing beautiful pictures of tractors, tractors in the sunset, tractors in the snow, tractors in uh, plowing fields and and your first email you log on and your first email is from the CEO and there's a little video that plays where the CEO is welcoming you to the organization talking about the hundred and seventy-five year legacy of John Deere and the fact that this is a company that makes things that are desperately needed by a world's growing population. They're making they're producing food and shelter and infrastructure that people need to, to enjoy life. And so the CEO finishes up by saying, you know, so so welcome to the most important work you'll ever do. And we hope you'll have a long, productive career with us at John Deere and over on the side of the desk is a little uh, knick-knack and you pick it up and you start looking at it and it's, a, it's the model of the first plow that John Deere ever created 175 years ago so you're starting to get the sense that this is a company that has a long tradition a long tradition of technology and innovation and your manager stops by right before lunch and says you know I, I would like to have lunch with you tomorrow but today I, I wanted to get you to meet some people that are they're more your age, and so you go out to lunch, and there are a few of your peers, and they're there to welcome you to the company, and they they talk at lunch about the projects that they're working on and why they think they're important, and and so you think about you think about going home at the end of that day as opposed to the typical first day, you feel connected with the company, you feel connected with particular people in the company, the CEO has welcomed you to the company, that your, your friends brought you your favorite beverage in the morning, they they express their excitement about their projects at lunch. And so you're connected with the company. You're inspired and probably proud to work at a place that has that 175-year legacy of doing important things for people. And I think that would just set you off your job and your career and your interest in that organization in a much different way. And in fact, what they found when they rolled this out in China and India is a lot of the people that have been there before were saying, could could I quit and come back through so that could be my first first day? it's like all of us all of us deserve a first day at work that's like that. And yet, so when I've polled people in in audiences and said, how many of you had a kind of special, remarkable first day? Five, one, one in 20 will say, yeah, I did. Yeah. But that's not a very good batting average for for companies of, of any size.
0: It's my experience, too, of having rather unremarkable first days. And I, I was thinking as I was thinking about that list of... That people cite of the major transitions in a person's life, the list of ten things, none of them have anything to do with work. The only one that has something to do with work is retirement, ironically. <laughs> and so we I, and and then on one level, I actually think that's really good. Like that's a really healthy thing. Like we don't um, we don't see the workplace necessarily as as our top most meaningful things in life. But and, it should be meaningful. We spend we
1: spend you know a third or third or more of our time doing uh,
0: it. Well, that's the other part too. I, I sort of like had this. I had this feeling as I was I was thinking about that. I was like, on one level, like that's really good. Yeah. At another level, I feel like, how much do we miss? Like, it, and and we have this even societal expectation, at least here in North American business culture, that we're not going to find a lot of us as much meaning in our work as we are in other activities in life. And it, it's almost one of those things where, like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we could also? Do that in the workplace, and that's why yeah. the, when I read the John Deere example, it's like, "Oh, this is great!" <laughs> I sent it out on Twitter right away because I was uh, like, "What if every organization did that?" And there's a lot to learn from this. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we can, like, dissect how they went through this process and just some of the key elements that you see of just having looked through how people utilize moments and you utilize an individual day of like, what can we learn from what they did?
1: Yeah, I like I like the fact that you like that example because I think it's it's utterly boring and yet it's utterly profound at the same time because most of us don't have those experiences. And so take, for example, what they did with with meaning, right? We get inspired by meaning when we see the broader picture of what's going on. So, you know, something that unfolds, you know, like we stand at the Grand Canyon and we have a sense of awe because, like, wow, this is, it took a long time to build up those rocks and, wow, it took a long time to wear down those rocks and, wow, it's so big. And and, and I think that's the recipe for all that psychologists have talked about. Is you see something big that causes you to reconceptualize your role in the world. And so the Grand Canyon, is the, the space is big, and it causes me to think how insignificant and you know tiny my time on Earth is. But if you think about it from John Deere's perspective, the fact that I'm walking into a company that has been going for 175 years is an impressive thing. And before they weren't mentioning that and highlighting it to people's attention, the fact that they're creating – Things that help people live, food, shelter, is you know they're not just creating tractors. They're creating tractors that do stuff. And the tra- what the tractors do is they build houses and they get food. And so sometimes th- those things seem obvious once you say them, but they're not at all obvious walking into most organizations. And so I think creating meaning is is something that we we don't do nearly enough. And the way that cre- we create meaning is by talking about the history. Of an idea or a business or a service, and so we can we can do that in sports. And good sports fans can reel off, you know, the statistics and playing history of dozens of players in the field going back in history. And yet, we don't know those things about, you know, what are the who are the great chief marketing officers in your company's history? You know, who are the great presidents in your company's history? We don't know about that. And yet, I think we might care if we knew what struggles our organization, our business had been through in earlier years and what problems they had solved for, for people in the world. So, that's that's about meaning and inspiration. One of the factors that we find in, in looking at the defining moments that people say are really important to them is that there's a sense of pride and a sense of insight. So, those are two of the elements that we find of the four that are really important about defining moments. And that... John Deere history is good at pride, building pride, and giving insight. But then the other profound thing that I think they're doing is this connection. So getting below the surface and connecting with people is is wonderful when it happens, but we don't always do it. We, We spend time talking about the weather or about sports as opposed to things that are meaningful. And so sitting at that lunch table and listening to my peers talk about why what they're doing is meaningful to them. That's an elegant way of setting the agenda for an encounter that gets people talking about more profound things than the weather. And yet, so many times in organizations we're we're left kind of grappling with you know, we're meeting these people and we don't have they're from another department so we don't know what's going on and so we default to the easy subjects to talk about, which are not necessarily the deepest or most most important subjects.
0: I'm thinking about the quote from Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood yeah. who said, It's impossible not to love someone once you've heard their story. Mm. Yeah. And it's something that I think a lot of us recognize that if we think about it logically, and a lot of organizations could recognize that and articulate it. But we so quickly forget. That just because we know it and just because our team may know it, that that new person coming into the organization, which seems obvious to the rest of us or what seems just part of the daily culture, is something that other person may not have any context for. And to the example you gave of a different culture, uh, a different org- an organization that's, uh, that's uh, you know in a place that isn't necessarily where people grew up with that organization, people don't have the context for why that history matters and that meaning and that pride.
1: Yeah, I love the I love the Fred Rogers quote. In fact, there's a there's a consulting intervention I'm going to tell you about in a second. Then I'm going to call for now on the Fred Rogers intervention. So yeah, the Fred Fred Rogers intervention is I was talking to a consultant at one point working for one of these very big premier consulting firms, one of the top top in the in the world. And he said he had gotten involved in a practice on organizational design uh, that looks at the internal structure of organizations, he said, I, I often end up working with management teams that are just heavily dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And he says, I was trained in business, but I, I should have actually done a degree in family therapy, I feel like, with, with some of these tough leadership teams. And one of the interventions that he he uses that, that he found really took the edge off the tension and the conflict in the team is he asked people to turn t- to another person at the table and just talk about a day recently when you really feel like you earned your paycheck as a chief marketing officer or as a chief financial officer or whatever and he says the room immediately brightens up because people people are talking about some something that they feel really excited about and the comptroller or the chief marketing officer is talking about their the project where they they get the right campaign and got an incredible deal on placements and you know th- th- signed up an agency that they hadn't worked with before, that they were, came with this brilliant idea. And the chief financial officer is looking at the chief marketing officer and thinking, what a geek. But I'm really glad that that geek is in my organization, because I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to do you know, those things. And and so it's it's a situation where people are getting below the surface, and yet, instead of instead of feeling the tension that we feel about why don't you agree with me on this thing? You start to realize, wow, there are different disciplines that go into running this firm. And you know I'm really thankful that, that that person is here because I couldn't do what they do. I couldn't get excited about what they get excited about. But man, they were charming when they were talking about that. And so all of a sudden, people start seeing different sides of the people that they've sat at the table with and argued with and made decisions with. But I love that notion of it's impossible not to love somebody once you've heard their story, because I think that's exactly what he's doing with that that dysfunctional leadership team intervention.
0: Well, and Fred Rogers said it way more artfully than I just articulated. I did track it down, and it's he said, frankly, there isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so profound. And it it you mentioned something else which. Really strikes me as an opportunity. I mean, thinking about regular things we do in organizations, which is having regular standing meetings, or having the offsite or the annual retreat. And so often, those events uh, are very predictable. They're somewhat mundane. There's the general schedule that everyone goes through. And one of the some of the examples you highlight in the book really challenge those assumptions and look for the opportunities. I'm curious, where have you seen organizations that have utilized moments to really turn that into something more meaningful?
1: Yeah. Let me tell you a story about Soon You and Stephen Duell at a a company called VF. And you may not, unless you're in the fashion industry, know VF Corporation, but you definitely know their their products. Uh, So they own North Face, they own Vans, they own Lee and Wrangler Jeans, they own Seven for All Mankind. And so everybody recognizes the products, but what you don't know is that there's a holding company that was kind of created as a conglomerate based on back office and operations expertise. And so they were really good at going into fashion business and and making the trains run on time and cutting out costs. And And they grew to be a $10, 12000000000 billion company on the strength of that cost-cutting ability. But eventually they stalled out on how much they could do by cutting costs. And they started saying, well, we need – we need top line growth. We need new products. We need innovation to happen. And all of a sudden, you've got a group of financial people and experts in operations that are trying to think, well, how do we foster innovation here? And so that's the, the task that was assigned to Stephen Duell, who's the kind of senior senior strategy officer. And he hired Sun Yu as the chief innovation officer. And both of them were former consultants. And they came up with a 100-slide PowerPoint deck with lots of detailed bubble graphs and you know, gating processes. And at some point, they, they thought, you know, this is just, this is just not going to work to change the culture. And I'm actually a proud parent because one, one of the things that happened at that point is, is Stephen started reading the book that I wrote with my brother on change. And in Switch, we talk about, you know, good change efforts are, are elegantly simple. And he looked at his 100-slide power, PowerPoint deck and said, this is, this is not simple. And they, they did something that I, I'm taking credit for their change, but they, they did it way more brilliantly than I ever would have thought to do. They, they dramatically simplified the message. And they went from a 100-slide PowerPoint deck to one idea. And that idea was, we tend to get involved in our silos here at VF. And so the Wrangler people don't necessarily talk to the North Face people even though the North Face people know more than anyone alive about advanced materials and, you know, how materials can shape and breathe and, you know, regulate temperature. And wouldn't we want jeans that had some of the properties of a North Face jacket? But traditionally those people hadn't talked to each other. And furthermore, the fashion industry is very it's almost kind of strange you would think that the fashion industry would be very customer focused. But they have to think so far in advance of their customers they're actually very internally focused. So, the chief fashion person at a brand is thinking two years ahead of what will customers be ready for? How will I challenge and intrigue customers two years from now, given the history of what's going on? Mm, interesting. And so, they didn't even have a tradition of going outside and checking with, you know, the Wrangler people weren't going out and looking at plumbers or electricians or people that wore jeans in their day to day life because, you know, it's the business of the fashion person to tell people what they're going to like as opposed to, you know, get feedback from them. And so they said, look, we've ended up as a very insular organization. We don't talk to each other. We don't talk to people outside. What if we could just get people to go outside for inspiration, go outside for innovation? And that became the theme of their change efforts strategy to create, create new innovation in the company. And so they rolled this out at an executive offsite. They had them every year. And so this year they wandered in and they they often would rent a nice place, but this year they rented the the Disney concert hall in Los Downtown Los Angeles. Oh a, yeah. It. So anyway, they, they're in this beautiful space, and instead of the the normal plastic metal chairs that you get at conferences that you're sitting in, they they brought in couches, and so people kind of wandered in, and they're in this beautiful space, and they're sitting on couches, and they're they're settling in, ready to you know undergo the first day of a meeting, which is typically death by PowerPoint. There are a lot of internal speakers, and they're going through 40 slide decks with micro font. And, and so the CEO stood up, and everybody kind of settles down in their seats, and he says, we're going to be talking about innovation this year. We're going to be talking about the importance of going outside. And so I think we ought to do that. We ought to go outside. And so if you if you look on the back of your name tag, there's a there's a number. And if you'll get up from your seats right now and go out to the front we have buses with those numbers and so install yourself on the right bus and you're going to go outside for inspiration today (laughs) and and so you know five minutes after they settle in for the corporate conference they're on buses and they're going different places and so one one group went and learned to ski one group went and cooked with wolfgang puck and developed pizzas together and one group went and looked at how upscale cosmetics were displayed in los angeles and they they did a, a, a facial and a makeover for that group. And so they're having all these very different experiences. And they came back to dinner that night and the conversations were just just animated, they were excited. People were talking about their experiences, talking about insights that they had throughout the day. And that's an effective meeting, right? So if you're going to illustrate the value of going outside, that's what you want to do. And and so starting from that, that inspiration, they started tracking in the, as an organization. The CEO said, you know, we're not going to metric this. We're not going to put it in as part of your key, key responsibilities and requirements in a formal sense. But what I want every quarter is for each of you as senior leaders of your brands to give me an example of where your, your group went outside for inspiration. And so they, they, they started them on this process of tackling stories and telling stories about good innovation. So one of my favorite examples, there was a group from Wrangler Jeans. I don't remember if it was Lee or Wrangler, but they, they went to an engineering firm that specialized in engineering construction. They're saying, you know, jeans are constructed to hold in things, and maybe maybe construction people know about this. And the engineering firm started talking about properties of cantilever design. And cantilevers are, you know, you've got a bridge that's supported on one end, and it's held up by a truss somehow, and it's, it's kind of sticking out over nothing because you can only attach supports in one way. And, and the group was inspired by this because they thought, you know, genes are a cantilever kind of process. If we want the right shape to our uh, – I don't know if we can say this on KiCast, but if we want the right shape to our butt, you know, there's a kind of cantilever process that's, that's working there. And they actually used some of the ideas that they learned from the engineering firm to re-engineer genes – and so they're using the properties of cantilever design that they learned from an outside engineering firm to re-engineer their genes. And then the yoga-centered brand at VF eventually caught on and started putting out yoga pants with the same properties. And I think that's, that's a brilliant example of something that would never have happened in the old VF. It happened because Stephen Duell and soon you were smart enough to say, instead of a hundred-slide PowerPoint deck, we're going to get people thinking about a simple idea that simple idea is to go outside. And if we all do that, we're going to come up with more innovative products. And at this point, they've they've kind of documented about between a billion and a half or two billion new product pipeline that was directly result for this going outside on a run rate of, this was a 12 to 14 billion billion dollar corporation before. They've added $2 billion to that, which is pretty good day's work.
0: Oh, seriously. You're reminding me of a video I saw your brother put together. Man, gosh, I must have been about 10 years ago on Vision. And yeah. it's about three or four minutes. And it's, he uses the example of an Italian restaurant. You've probably seen it. And... The the message for me in that video is use plain language, like just get simple, use everyday language, don't try to do all the corporate stuff and make things overcomplicated. And yet so many of us miss that. And But if we can get down to just keeping things simple and having one message in a meeting or an event, we open up the doors for a lot more power. And then, of course, the results like you just mentioned are incredible. There's so much in this book that we're, we're not even hitting on today. So I hope that those who are inspired by this will check it out and get into some of the details here. And one of the resources that you've mentioned to me, which I'm really intrigued by, especially since we're airing this during the holiday season, is a resource on your website called Seven Days of Memories. Tell me more about what that
1: is. So the framework in the book, and there is a framework underlying the the kind of random stories that I've been telling, but we've found four elements that really drive people's sense of what makes a profound moment, a profound experience. And and I won't go through the four here, but what the resources on our website will talk about is the four four elements of defining moments. And so we mentioned two before with John Deere Story, the pride and the insight that they produce by talking about the 175 year history. But there's a resource on the website that you were talking about, seven days of memories, and you you'll have to log on to the Heathrow site and uh, and and register for the website but the resource is free and what seven days of memories does is it takes the best science that we know and that we reviewed in the book and applies it to saying how would you create a week that was just extraordinary in producing peak moments and so we have some of our readers have done it in a week some have taken two months to go through the seven exercises but whichever way you want to consume it, I think there's, there's a lot of stuff in there that will help you think differently about how to spend your time with your loved ones during the holiday season. And so, so it's, a, it's an easy thing to download. It'll get you thinking about creating moments. And then when you go back to work in January, you'll be in a good position to, to start crafting some better moments for your coworkers.
0: One of the things that I know that people love about the work you guys do is that you, of course, have a business focus to your work and the books, but that there's also a lot that can be applied to personal relationships and families, too. And so I'm curious for you, Chip, what have you and your family done to be intentional about creating moments and applying some of what you've learned here to create those memories we were talking about?
1: Well, I think... I think one one thing I've learned and I've changed based on doing this research is is I I have always been, I've always been a cheapskate. I grew up in a family that was very frugal with our money, and so you know my parents would take us to Disney World, but that forty five dollars sweatshirt in the gift shop, you know that twelve dollar pair of mouse ears, that was just outrageous because we knew we could get similar things elsewhere for a much cheaper price, and so gift stores at Disney World are just crazy. And yet, if you think about if you think about life as a task of creating memories and creating moments, I think you devote your resources a little differently. And so I've, I've actually had to concede that you know w- we may spend a couple thousand dollars going on vacation to a, a nice place, but then why am I being a cheapskate with the souvenir at the souvenir shop that's going to remind my kids of where they came from? Mm. And so, so I, I went with the. Uh, with my younger daughter on a daddy-daughter date to an amusement park in Los Angeles. in Knott's Berry Farm, you know, it was a great day. We rode roller coasters. We did barrel rolls and double 360 rolls. And and then at the gift store, she saw this Snoopy with a Knott's Berry Farm shirt on. It's kind of a knitted, uh, crocheted vest, I guess. And she just loved the Snoopy. And the Snoopy was outrageously expensive, like 60 bucks or something. But I I corrected myself from my initial tendency from childhood, which would be to say, Well, that's way too expensive to say, you know, we've had a great day. You know, why why not give her something that she can remember? And sure enough, that thing sat on her bed for the next six months before it finally got demoted to second tier, you know, from a new stuffed animal. But during that six months, she remarked several times about how much fun we had that day Mm. in Knoxbury Farm. And that was the best sixty dollars I spent recently. Wow. And and I don't think I would have spent it if I hadn't been thinking of life in terms of moments. And so as a manager, as a as a leader, you know, thinking about devoting resources to creating memories and moments for people, I think that's a powerful, powerful simplifying device.
0: Chip, our five year old and our three year old have never showed a tremendous amount of interest in this podcast. And yet after that story, I have <laughs> I have a belief that you have two new young fans. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that. The book is The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact. Chip, thank you so much uh, to you and Dan for this work, but also um, thanks to both of you a ton for the contributions you've made to business leadership over the last decade. Uh, All of your books have been fabulous, and I encourage all of you to check them out if you haven't, uh, because there's so much we can learn that's practical for leaders.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Chip. As always, the links we mentioned will be in the show notes, including Chip and Dan's website at heathbrothers.com. So check that out for a number of the resources that we discussed. You heard me mention last week that applications will be opening again here in January 2018 for the Coaching for Leaders Academy. If you are a manager, executive, or business owner who is ready to accelerate your leadership skills, who is seeking objective perspective that you don't find internally, and perhaps wishing you had a team of trusted advisors who'd provide regular coaching for the toughest situations and decisions. If that's you, then the Coaching for Leaders Academy may be the right next step in your leadership development. The Academy is an exclusive year-long development cohort that I lead personally. I select six to seven leaders to be part of an intimate group and work with me to develop leadership excellence and empower each other. Plus, there's a larger academy network that has now grown among our small groups to almost 50 members in 10 different countries. Applications open again here in early January 2018. If you'd like to discover more about the academy and get an early alert when applications open, just visit coachingforleaders.com academy. By the way, the vast majority of our Academy members receive partial or full funding from their organizations to participate. So if you haven't checked it out before, now's the time to hop on over to coachingforleaders.com academy to learn more. This is also the last episode I'm airing in 2017. Whether you just started listening today or you've been listening since the show began back in 2011, thank you so much for being a part of this listening community, and for supporting my work. I get a message like this all the time, probably hundreds of times this year I've heard it, where someone like you will email me or tell me in person at a meetup that you've been listening to the show, that it's been helpful to you in some way, and that you've shared an episode with someone else. There are so many wonderful things that I've had people do for me over the years since I've been producing this show, kind notes, heartfelt reviews, people who call in and leave a question and then say something really kind before or after the question they leave. By the way, I have the wonderful problem of having to edit out lots of kind words that people leave before or after they ask questions on the Q&A show because we just don't have enough time to air everything that people say. But all of that said, by far and away, more than all of those things... The greatest gift that you have given me is when you've shared an episode of this show with someone you care about. So many of you have used and recommended these episodes to your staff, to a colleague, to a mentee, to a client, to a friend. Some of you even recommend the show to every client you have. Thank you so much for those of you who do that. And and many of you even share these conversations with your spouses, because I get a lot of those notes too. And as I say in my replies back to you, there's no greater compliment to my work than you passing it along to someone else. Most of you who have shared an episode with others, I will never meet and I'll never have a chance to thank you personally. But if that is you, thank you. Thank you for the privilege to be of influence to you and to the other people you care about. Your recommendations of this show over the last six years now allow me the privilege to speak to so many experts like Chip each year, and then to get to share the conversations back here with you. I never take the privilege of your attention each week for granted, and it is a tremendous joy for me to bring this show to you every week. I was uh, telling someone recently that, especially since our Academy launched two years ago, I absolutely feel 100% aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing in the world. And a big part of that has centered around this podcast and the opportunities that have opened up in my life and my work because of the support you've given. So as always, tons more coming in 2018, but for a final time this year on behalf of Bonnie and me, thank you so much for the privilege you've given me and us to be of influence to you. And if this is your first time listening, just over a year ago, I launched the free membership on the Coaching for Leaders website. It gives you access to a ton of free resources, more and more coming all the time, including the book notes, which just launched In the last few weeks, it'll also give you access to my 10 day free audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. If you haven't yet registered for the free membership, go over to coachingforleaders.com. That is the very best way to get access to the full range of resources that are available on the Coaching for Leaders website. And one of those resources is the entire library for the last six years of. The shows and several of them related to today's conversation. So first of all, episode number 136, how to create leadership connections in the smallest of moments. Doug Conant was on the show back in episode 136. The former CEO of Campbell Soup talked about how he utilized moments in his work as the CEO to connect with people effectively using handwritten notes and so many of the other wonderful things he did over the years. Uh, It's a great inspiration if you're looking to do more of what we talked about today. Also, I would recommend episode 207, How to Transform Your Limitations into Advantages. Mark Barden was on the show talking about A Beautiful Constraint, his book on how you can leverage The limitations you have in order to create extraordinary things, very much in the spirit of today's conversation as well taking advantage of every single moment. Episode 207 is where to go for that. Also, I'd recommend episode 288, How to Get Better at Onboarding Employees. Amanda Davis was on that episode, and we talked about what are the best practices for onboarding. We mentioned some of that in today's conversation as well. If that struck your interest, episode 288 is definitely a listen for you. You can reach all those past episodes by going to Coaching for Leaders dot com slash the episode number next week for the first episode of the year bonnie and i return for the monthly question and answer show you can submit your question for consideration for next week or the first q a show of the first monday of every month at coachingforleaders.com feedback and for those of you who are on the free membership and get the weekly leadership guide every wednesday This coming Wednesday, I'll be sharing the 10 most downloaded episodes of this year, the episodes you said were most valuable to you and the people you care about. Watch for that on your email this Wednesday. Have a fabulous new year and see you in 2018. Take care.